course, like every other teenage kid, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. When I was 16 years old, I took off and drove across the country to Wyoming, went into the Wind River Range and discovered mountains. In 1973, Yvonne Chouinard founded Patagonia. I never wanted to be a businessman. All I wanted to do was do my craft and climb mountains. So then I had to figure out a way to where I was going to be a businessman, but I was going to do it completely on my own terms. Build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. Join us at Patagonia.com. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a production of Duct Tape Thin Beer, with additional support from REI, Fireside Provisions, and Kuat Racks. So it seems to me like you feel it's important to throw yourself in situations that there are situations that are potentially over your head. Yeah, I do. Because I, when you're young, that's like second nature, sort of, because you, you don't really... You don't exercise good judgment and you don't always have good judgment. And so just by by virtue of being young and, and dumb, you you do. But as you get older, you you develop these amazing powers of uh, judgment. And some of it's like when you become a parent, like you imagine all these horrible things that could happen to your children. And so you begin to see life as one unending, impending disaster that needs to be avoided. This is Eric Johnson. It doesn't happen all at once, but slowly when you get older, you put up blocks like, oh, I won't do this or, oh, I won't do this. And and then by the time you're done with all the things that you no longer do or the risks you don't take, you're confined to your own backyard that you just created with some sort of fence, you know. Do you feel like that happened to you? There was definitely a period where I was struggling with, you know, this is my life. This is what I have. And... Am I really not willing to take risks anymore? Am I willing to, to just be content with this and the way it is? And that, that probably led into all of this. Eric's 35, high school English teacher in Sturgis, South Dakota. He's got three young daughters. The guy's responsible. I just got in my mind that, that I was going to buy a raft. And I took this retirement account and turned it into a, a raft. There is this expression, experience is the result of bad judgment. Today we bring you the story of what happens when irresponsible adults ignore their better judgment and of what it feels like to slosh around in the bucket of someone else's bucket list. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. This is not something that people do where I'm from, where I'm from in South Dakota. And so YouTube became my rafting simulator, if you will. (laughs) My raft was out in my garage and I would set up a computer, go to some YouTube clip on some river and some set of rapids, sit there with an open beer and row my raft as I sat in the garage. 
The first year Eric had the raft, he floated both Labyrinth and Desolation Canyons of Utah's Green River and took a guide school class in California. But most of his rafting experience he got right at home. The spring before his second summer as a raft owner, Eric struck out on every permit he put in for. Late one night, he found himself awake in front of the blue glow of his computer screen, clicking through posts on Mountain Buzz in a last-ditch effort to get a spot on a trip. When he found this... Experienced guides looking for other rafters who are interested in a preseason high-water trip on the Maine Salmon. The Maine is a relatively mellow, class-three stretch of river. A lot of families float the section during the summer. But preseason, higher water levels mean faster water, fewer eddies, and a handful of solid class four rapids. You know, this was exactly the kind of trip that I needed to become a a better rafter under the guidance of people who had spent their lives doing this and who, you know, were going to kind of watch out for me. Eric shot an email to the trip leader, certain he wouldn't actually make it onto the trip. I probably included like every single canoe trip I'd ever taken, naming rivers that weren't exactly boiling maelstroms of white water, but more like little prairie trickles or something. So I was surprised when he said, yeah, I emailed my friend Dave and I said, hey, do you want to do something stupid? You've got mail. He said uh, there's going to be eight boats total with two safety kayakers and then there was experienced guides on the, in the group that had done this trip before. This is Eric's friend, Dave. I took about a day, watched some YouTube videos of people not making it through rapids on the main salmon and, and decided to go for it. I just got an email at school one day and Dave said, whatever your plans are, June 9th through the 19th, cancel them. I said they had a spot on a, a rafting trip. They needed another person, so I said, I'm in. This is Justin. How much rafting experience did you have at the time? Uh, With whitewater, none. Uh, I have zero whitewater experience. None at all. And then ensued this back and forth email that was this sort of bizarre, almost like a relationship. Bill, there are a couple of similar names in this story, so to avoid any confusion, we're going to call him Bucket List Bill. So, Bucket List Bill. The trip leader from Mountain Buzz would send Eric a link to a YouTube clip of Big Water on the Main Salmon, or to discount rafting gear. Then, without warning, he would flip. Uh, and he would respond that... I was unorganized and I didn't, I didn't have my shit together, so to speak, and, you know, questioning my ability to take this trip, which he had every right to, certainly. And, and so I was on a week-by-week basis trying to ingratiate myself with Bill and make sure that he knew that I was really interested and that I would be able to support myself and support my crew on this trip and I wouldn't be a liability. And week to week, Dave would ask me, like, hey, you know, how's it going? Are we kicked off the trip this week? When the trip got close enough that the pendulum of Bill's mood became too much, Eric just cut off communication completely. He told Dave and Justin they would just show up at the put-in the night before they were set to launch and see what happened.
On the evening of the 10th of June, the trio arrived at Corn Creek Boat Launch, on the edge of the Frank Church Wilderness, 700 miles from Sturgis, 45 miles down a dirt road so narrow and windy and close to the river that it takes two hours to drive. In short, they were committed. That night, they expected to meet the person who had batted Eric around for the past few months. So we showed up to the boat launch, and the boat launch is deserted. We set up our tents at you know this deserted campground and listened to this big river roll by, and I think that's probably when we were all a little bit, what are we doing? <laughs> In the morning, they readied their raft. And then they waited. And they waited. At 10 o'clock, the time they were supposed to launch, a guy named Bob pulled up. Uh, and he was wasted. <laughs> he was drunk. But he had a good sense of humor, seemed capable enough, and by the time he had finished fixing margaritas for the three of them, they decided they liked Bob. Bucketless Bill didn't show up for another four hours. You know, we look up to see this blue 1986 caravan or something come flying into the parking lot, and there's this raft behind the van, this multicolored raft that looks like something that you would win knocking over bottles at the fair. There was tape hanging off the bottom, and it was just packed with stuff. I was thinking, who the heck is this guy? You know, older guy, overweight, not fit. My first impression, I didn't know what to think. You know, they, they rolled up in this minivan with a flat tire, and he got out and came strutting over and introduced himself while he was yelling instructions at the two ladies he had brought with him to, to start changing the tire out and unloading the van. As he walked back toward the women, he muttered something about how all of the other experienced guides had canceled. One of the women, Sue, was probably in her late 30s, Bucketless Billy's daughter's piano teacher and his fiance. The other woman, Lynn, had gone to high school with Billy's sister. She was this grandmotherly-like lady from North Carolina, you know, just sweet as pie accent, and, and she would glance at the river and say things like, we don't have any rivers like this where we're from. I never quite figured out what made Bucketless Bill reach out after 40 years and invite her along. It came out pretty early, though, that he had told her that they had paid a commercial service to guide them down the river. Oh, man. <laughs> I felt so bad for them. They had no clue what they were getting into. I guess sort of like us. As Bucketless Bill began to pull things out of the van and prepare the raft, it became more and more clear that he didn't have much of an idea of what he signed up for either. All of his gear was new, but not good new. New, like he had stopped by Walmart on the way. Price label is still attached. It was just obvious that these people had no idea what they were doing. I mean, one of the, I would use air quotes if you could see me, but dry boxes which was really just kind of like a tool crate or something. It was bulging so much that you could actually see stuff poking out. This is Kelly, a ranger at Corn Creek for the last eight years. 
The rangers stay at the boat launch during the rafting season, check permits, and boaters required leave no trace gear. And so I checked his gear, and when I got back to the office, excuse my language, but I said, wow, that's a real shit show out there, which is kind of crude, I'm sorry, but that was just all I could think was, this is just a a disaster. And do you know how many parties go through that boat launch every year? Um, through Corn Creek, uh, seven to 10,000. So you've literally seen thousands of parties launch from this boat launch. Yes. And you remember this one. This was the worst. <laughs> Did you ever think about backing out? No. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really have any doubts about launching. The The boat was already in the water, and so it seemed pretty natural just to row away from the shore and head down the river. The first day, Bucket List Billy's raft left Corn Creek without any fresh water, unless you count his cooler full of already melted ice. His raft zigzagged across the river as he shouted commands of the women to paddle one way or the other. Oh, and that first day, Bucket Lake Billy's raft lost the only guidebook. At camp that night, Bob jokingly hit on Sue, and Bucket Lake Bill suggested that he might have a loaded weapon. They also discovered that Bucket Lake Bill had liver cancer and a spot on the transplant list. Probably a good ways down. And so that added to just the kind of question, like, what kind of trip are we on here, you know? And it occurred to me that this could be Bill's bucket list uh, item, and and he might not really give a shit if if he uh, made it through it or not. Suddenly, everything made sense. They'd all been lured onto Billy's bucket list fantasy trip. And now, here they were, bobbing around the bottom of the bucket. second morning, they established a routine that would continue for the rest of the week. Bob made coffee. The women hauled Bucketless Billy's gear down the beach. Bucketless Bill strapped gear to the raft and duct-taped whatever he couldn't fit. Eric and his friends ate breakfast, drank a couple of breakfast beers, packed their raft, and played a game of bocce ball, and then launched at noon when the rest of the group was ready. That afternoon, they reached the first big rapid, Black Creek. I remember sitting there on the, uh, the lookout on the scouting place, just thinking, wow, you know, this thing is big, and that's a lot of water, and this is serious stuff. I looked at this rapid, and in the middle was certainly no place you wanted to be, but the left looked pretty bad, and the right looked a little better. Bill bravely offered to run sweep. Eric understood at this point that this was up to him. He had to read the rapid the best he could without a guidebook and try to lead the rest of the party safely through. At some point above a rapid, you, you know, you kind of look at it, you look at it, you look at it, and then you just get in your boat and you row to where you think you need to be, and then you're committed. If this were a film... This is the moment where the frame would freeze with the tip of Eric's raft, aimed at the right side of a substantial drop that stretched like a white stripe across the width of the river. 
Eric stands in back, hands clutched around the oars. His friends, Justin and Dave, sit on either side of the boat in front of him and grip their paddles. And this isn't a film, so we can't zoom in on their three faces. But I think we can safely imagine each face, molded into its own version of adrenaline-soaked terror. We slip down into the tongue of this rapid. You know, there's that calm before the rapid really starts taking off. And you can just hear the the rumble and feel the, the speed picking up. And I knew the big, the first drop was there, and so the raft dropped down into a hole. But then there was a second drop. And um, we went over the lip, we went down into the hole, and I remember looking up and just seeing this huge wave coming up over the top of Justin and I. And we both grabbed the raft and, and put our heads down. And this wall of water just came over Dave and Justin's head and hit me about mid-thigh. And we managed to turn around and see Eric, you know, reaching for his oar that he had lost, and we got spit out the other end, and... (laughs) We made it. Like, we had made it. It was exhilarating. Bob followed next, standing up in his raft, playing the air guitar to an iPod that blared through a set of portable speakers. As he approached the first drop, he raised his drink to Eric, Dave, and Justin, and at the last possible moment, he sat down and grabbed his oars. Something went wrong. He got lined up sideways to the second hole, and one tube of his raft was out of the water. Bob was on his back, limbs flailing, attached to his raft by one foot. But the cataract made it through the rapid and landed upright with Bob still attached, unharmed. And then Bill came through with the women perched high on their inflatable mattresses up front. And I don't know how their raft didn't dump truck because they were all but over. And somehow it came down the right side up with the women clutching each other in desperation and Bill still on the oars. All of the stuff taped to Bucket Lake Billy's raft did not fare as well. And I just remember bringing their gear back and this look on Lynn's face. It was the look that you know that you're going to die and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, it was that look. We knew that regardless of what we did, Bob would be able to make it down the river just fine. He was experienced. He was capable. But but we didn't feel like the other boat would fare well. And what if something happened? What if that boat went over and nobody was there to help him out? We didn't have any allegiance to to Bill, quite the opposite, but we felt sorry for these women that he kind of suckered into this trip and, and felt we owed it to them to, to kind of stick around at least. The group floated on. Eric became the default trip leader, and the third day, the guidebook turned up, soaking wet but legible in a crevice of Bucketless Billy's junk-piled raft. It kind of became a fight in that while I was leading the trip, Bill really didn't want me to have the guidebook, and I, and I kind of got the sneaking suspicion that he thought we were going to ditch them and take the guidebook. So they ran the rapids blind until... That afternoon, Bucketless Bill and the women pulled off at a place that they thought was Buckskin Bill's, originally a homestead of one of the more colorful characters in the canyon and now a place where you can buy beer and ice. 
Signs of Civilization actually turned out to be Allison Ranch, a Christian retreat that looks nothing like the description of Buckskin Village in the guidebook. The confusion squashed any doubt that anyone had left that Bucketless Bill had ever run this stretch of the salmon before. But it did leave the team a window that they needed with the guidebook. And the moment the Bucketless Bill and the women had disappeared out of sight up the hill, Dave pulled out his camera. We felt like we're in a, like a 007 movie. And I'm sitting there snapping photos as quick as I can, flipping the pages, and we hear him walking down the trail, and Eric's like, they're coming, hurry up! <laughs> he photographed, like, all of the, the pages, and that just, like, speaks to kind of how weird and desperate we were. Over the next few days, Bucketless Billy's lines through the rapids proved again and again that anything is possible. Watching Bill, it was just, like... Watching the luck of dumb animals or something. <laughs> like, just the lines he would take were ridiculous, and it was just sort of amazing that he would make it through to the bottom, but he, but he always did. Everything came to a climax on the last night when Bucketless Bill insisted that he was going to make dinner. He had brought a rack of ribs and game hens for their last hurrah, and he had purchased ice at Buckskin Bill's, but before that, the meat had floated atop the bloodied water in his cooler for five days. Eric offered to make beef stew for dinner, but Bucketless Bill took offense, so the party set up two kitchens. That night, they discovered that Bob had cancer, too. When they asked him about treatment, he just raised his beer. To the canyon walls, the stars above, the river below. They woke to learn that Bucketless Billy's engagement had been called off, and she had spent the night outside the tent in the sand. They all packed quietly that morning. One final rapid, Chittam Rapid, stands guard between the place they camped and the takeout. The guidebook warns to get out of your boat and scout the rapid, not to let your guard down just because you're close to the end. And uh, at that point, Bill was just like, run it, let's just do it. For one final slosh in the bucket. The whole party plowed through the final rapid without getting out of their boats and miraculously arrived at the takeout unscathed, poured out of Billy's bucket, wet, exhausted, but alive. I used to have a friend who always used to say, you know, I'm not going to learn it any younger. And so we get the idea that you had to learn to do something at a young age or you just would never do it. And to me, this was something that I kind of took up in my, I guess, mid thirties, you know, which seems a little late in the game, but, but why couldn't I, you know, why couldn't I become a whitewater rafter? <laughs> And that was my mentality because I, I love rivers. I love being in the wilderness. I love being with friends and, and being able to take my friends like, you know, awesome places. 
So like, what are the obstacles in the way of doing that? And almost always the obstacle is your doubt that you can. Knowing what you know now, would you do it again? Would you go through that experience again? You know, I would. And it's because not only did I get what I was looking for, I got way more than what I was looking for. Which is to say, like, you know, if if you went with a bunch of experienced people, like you would just follow them through the rapids, you know, and that would be what you did. And that, that wasn't the case because there was there was nobody to follow. It forced me to become a better rafter and become the trip leader for this trip that was a little above my skill level. To me, this story, it made my summer. I mean, and it's it's the kind of story that like somebody tells at your funeral, you know, to sum up like who you were <laughs> and and what you did. So I would do it again. Thank you, Eric, Justin, Dave, and Kelly for sharing this story. Support for the Diaries comes from you. Whether it's a pledge donation, an iTunes review, or a note of thanks, you keep the Diaries thriving. If you want to make a donation, click on the pledge button in the upper right-hand corner of our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. For 24 years, First Nations people, conservationists, backcountry skiers, and snowboarders have fought and proposed large-scale ski resort deep in the Purcell Mountains of British Columbia. It's a story that Patagonia has chosen to tackle in the film Jumbo Wild. It's created by our friends at Sweetgrass Productions. Pretty damn cool. You can check it out online, the shorter version, or you can watch it in its entirety on Netflix and find out what you can do to help keep Jumbo wild for good. Support also comes from Fireside Provisions, mouth-watering meals for the campfire or cabin. Check them out at firesideprovisions.com. And from REI, who believes that a life outdoors is a life well-lived. Additional support comes from Kuat Racks. If you aren't familiar by now, Kuat Rack makes incredible, lightweight, stylish, and easy-to-use hitch racks, roof racks, and accessories. Visit kuatracks.com to check out their full lineup and get ready to hit the trail, because it's time. It's spring, and I'm ready. I'm ready for the sunshine. Seriously, it's been raining forever in Seattle. Thanks, Kuat. Music today from Publish the Quest, Amy Stolzenbach, Deadlinks, and Jason Shaw. The tracks are courtesy of Mevia's Music Alley, Free Music Archive, and our friends Amy Stolzenbach and Jacob Bain. You can find the links to the artist at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was edited and mixed by Jacob Ann and our theme music. Yeah, that's right. Our theme music. Turn it up, Jen. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Hell yeah. Anyway, let me retake that. Sorry. Production assistance and field recordings from Jamie Lynn. Thank you, Jamie. This episode was written by Eric Johnson and Jen Altschul and a little bit of help from me. Uh, Yeah, it was a team effort. We tackled it. You've been listening to Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.